Welcome to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. Each episode, LRV Health's Keith Viglioli will talk to the healthcare insiders who are helping to fundamentally transform our healthcare industry. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salami. Welcome back to Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. I am here with our host, Keith Figlioli, or Keith Fig, as people like to call him. Now, we're bringing that up because he has had a conversation today with Dr. John Wigness Warren. He is a chief medical officer at Walmart, and you guys have, you shared, uh, you shared a few, uh, I think a few traits. One of them was complicated last names. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's an important one, a complicated <laughs> last name. So he, for people that know him, he goes by Doctor Wig, and I and he kept calling me Fig in the interview. So we had a wig, a wig, and a fig back and forth, which was a lot of fun. That's great. And also, he uh, he is a musician, and I can always tell when you're talking to someone who's a musician. You 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 like to talk to musicians. I, I, you you groove a little bit when you talk to musicians. He is like the coolest cat I have interviewed <laughs> in 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 three years. So the other thing we have to celebrate today with this intro is that we're on our finishing our third year anniversary. That's right. Going going into our fourth year on this podcast, and I was joking before we jumped on the recording that I can remember sitting in a room with you, kind of just talking about this idea, and it feels like yesterday. You know, what's a podcast? Yeah, those were <laughs> those were the days. Yeah, I remember we. Uh, well, we don't need to go too far down memory lane, but uh, it uh, it's it's very cool when these things get legs and uh, and, and keep running forward because I think that's the real power of the podcast. So, congratulations to you! Happy uh, happy birthday slash anniversary to you and LRV. I appreciate that, and it's been a lot of fun doing it. And I think the fun part now is that we've gotten enough interest from folks that we're getting really interesting ideas from the community now about what we should be focusing on. This as people remember. You know, we did this, uh, as I always joke, the last thing the world needs is another podcast, but I think we didn't, we didn't want to do an echo chamber podcast, but we wanted to do one where we can bring voices that people don't typically hear, or they have to pay a lot of money to hear at events on main stages. And some of that is not as intimate as some of the discussions we have on the podcast. So I think we've successfully done that, but back to the feedback from the community, you know, this is one where we are finishing up a retail series. So we did an interview with the CMO at Walgreens. We did an interview with the head of corporate development and strategy for CVS. And then we're finishing up with Dr. Wig, who is the newly minted CMO, chief medical officer at Walmart, which we were joking earlier, which is quite interesting that that Walmart has a chief medical officer given their ambitions in, in broadening out their community retail footprint into health. No, for sure. I mean, I think if you look at companies that are going to impact healthcare from the outside, you have Walmart, on the retail side and certainly Amazon or Apple on the, on the tech side. So Walmart's going to be a significant player of already is a significant player, but will be a, a big change agent. What were some of the takeaway from the conversations? It's only his eighth, what was it? Eighth week. So he was into, in the second month of being on the job. So I think, you know, he had some interesting early impressions about how serious they are. And I think it's been, you know, as I was saying earlier, I think there's been a lot of press going back and forth as press does about is Walmart really serious about health or not. And everything that I took from the discussion is they're very serious uh, and it's only going to get bigger from what I can tell. And they're being very pragmatic about it, which I also appreciate. And I think we've heard that from all the retailers, which is, you know, regardless of what we hear in the public press and regardless of what we see in the strategies, these community-based organizations that are in all of our communities 
they feel like they have the brand. We talked about brand permission a little bit in this interview, and they feel like they have the permission to be able to move in these areas. And some of the early moves are paying off for them. And now they're thinking about what's the second and the third and the fourth chess move. I think they also appreciate, and we had this discussion as well, about incumbents and how important the incumbents are and how to work with those incumbents up and down the acuity ladder based on what the situation is. So I think I think there's a realism across these retailers about what they're doing. I think there's a pragmatic strategy set of levers that I've heard loud and clear across all three of these interviews. And I think Dr. Wig coming in with some of his background, having, you know, he's a nephrologist by training, worked at DeVita and Fresenius, also worked at Express Scripts. This, this, this gentleman has broad experience and very much understands the landscape uh, and then more importantly, help to how to steer an organization such as Walmart and with people like Marcus Osborne and others who are, are great in the organization sort of thinking through the right strategies. Absolutely. And to your point about his being only eight weeks in, uh, he's, he's certainly wouldn't have taken this job if, uh, if Walmart wasn't going to be making a major push. So I think his, his coming on board is clear validation of that. Well, before we begin the interview, Keith, anything else you want to uh, take away from our entering our fourth year at the Healthcare is Heart podcast? I think we just our learnings. And, you know, what I want to say is thank you to the community for all the feedback. We've been getting tremendous amount of feedback as of late. And as people started noticing, we're starting to do a little bit more series. So can we connect the dots on a couple of different interviews, not just kind of go down a lane on one interview, then jump to the next topic. You know, the retailer one was kind of the first place we did that with the three big retailers that are in the market. We're going to kick off the fourth season with a tremendous interview that we just did as well, which is going to be focused on women executives, successful women executives in the healthcare space. We have talked to a number of them over the years, but we want to do a little series on that and kind of take it from a couple of different angles. So we're lining up a number of folks on that side. Um, we've also gotten recent feedback to from some folks about, you know, what do, should we interview some of the senior executives in life sciences, how they think about the broader healthcare space. And so I think we may think about that in the second half of 22 but keep the feedback coming, keep the reviews coming. And, you know, the more we can do going into the fourth year and become iterative and better at what we do, you know, we really appreciate the feedback. Uh, and I'm curious, when we first talked about this, I think one of your questions was why? <laughs> why would I do this? Why would I take this time? It's a, it's a lot of time to put this together and to keep it going. What have you and, and LRV uh, sort of gotten out of, out of the podcast? I think it plays right into our platform. You know, our platform is sort of inside healthcare and working with the leaders around this country that are driving a lot of sort of big decisions in healthcare from policy, from incumbent large health systems and payers to some of the largest healthcare vendors in the country. And we have a little bit of a purist model like that. You know, all of our money comes from those types of players. And, and these types of discussions reinforce that, reinforce some of the work that we do, the focus areas that we focus on. And then we take some of the work that we do natively in the fund and bring that into the podcast. So I think there's a nice back and there's a lot more back and forth than I thought probably in the beginning of doing this. And I think it's really helped both sides of, of our platform, but more importantly, you know, how we think of the world. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to uh, enter the fourth year and just as excited to start this interview that you did with Dr. John Wigness Warren. He's chief medical officer at Walmart. All right. Well, welcome back to the Healthcare is Hard podcast. I'm pretty excited about finishing up our what we elegantly started calling our retail series. Um, we just did a, an interview with Walgreens and then CVS. And then we are so lucky to have a newer member of the executive Walmart health team with Dr. John uh, Wigniswaran. 
who is the chief medical officer at Walmart. And, and we were joking in the beginning and, I, and I'm going to, I try to say his name once and my last name is tough too. So John even has on his zoom window here that, that he goes by wig. And so, so John wig is sort of, I uh, think how I'll, I'll go by uh, the saying, if that's okay, John. That's perfect. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so we we were joking about two two tough last names. So my family goes by Fig Fig, which is always fun too. So anyway, so John, I really appreciate you taking the time. I I can't imagine how busy you are with the new role at Walmart um, and specifically at Walmart's health group. But like all discussions, we love to start with just learning a little bit more about yourself and sort of how you came about getting into medicine how you came about sort of, you know, moving into your career. You've had some really incredible positions with Avita, Fresenius, Express Scripts, and now Walmart. So it'd be just great to learn a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, no, first of all, thank you for, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I've had an interesting career in, uh, in healthcare. You know, it started, my dad was a pediatrician. And so I was around healthcare quite a bit, but I was definitely not a science-focused person growing up. I was heavily involved in music and was going down that path and <clears throat> had a bunch of sort of career and life changes along the way and, and uh, you know, transitioned somewhat late to a microbiology major in college and, uh, you know, went to medical school, ended up doing a little bit of radiology first and then stumbled into nephrology. And I, and I actually really liked nephrology just because of the, the patient population. It's a very challenging population. It's a challenging disease you know, objective, because you could look at a lab and tell if somebody had kidney disease rather than, you know, things like back pain and others that are a little bit more subjective. So kind of went down that path. And, you know, my foray into industry was somewhat, you know, spontaneous. I was in a physician's lounge while I was practicing out in Ohio. Uh, it was actually my first year out from fellowship when I finished nephrology and uh, had the opportunity to work for a startup in uh, medical affairs. And, that sort of started my career. The, the company was acquired by Johnson and Johnson, and and I've had a variety of roles from from that to the medical device, and as you mentioned, the the big dialysis players and PBM, and now and now Walmart. So uh, definitely didn't start out thinking I was going to be working at Walmart when I was in medical school, but it's it's pretty interesting how life has kind of changed to bring me here. And that's always the fun thing about these discussions, which is you, you realize how windy of a path it really is, where it looks very straight on a resume or a LinkedIn page. But I have to ask, what was the music interest? <laughs> yeah, no, I was, uh, so I was classically trained uh, pianist and uh, ended up uh, getting into jazz and pop. And, and one of my teachers in L.A. was, you know, a pretty significant session player and so it was, you know, still pretty heavy in the music side and still write and do fun things on the weekend. Uh, but that was uh, that was really kind of my my love at the time. And but just, uh, you know, it's just interesting. You, and you're right. You know, you don't think about a lot of things. And, and I think from a music perspective, uh, for those that are in music, you know, a lot of things you do in music is never right or wrong. It's uh, you kind of go with uh, what what's going on. Actually, a good friend of mine who passed a couple of years ago was a guitarist who, you know, played with Ricky Martin to Shakira and Michael Jackson, others. And his, his thing always resonated with me, which is his comment was that it's all about the groove. And, and that's really kind of what my career has sort of been. I've just sort of fallen into places and met some great people that have, uh, you know, kind of molded me. So that certainly wasn't something thought out. So got lucky. 
So we're so you're like the best invite to a party then because we can get you on the piano and and see the and see the and see the true talent behind the the doctor. Well, I would say I'd say nephrologists. You know, I joke about this all the time. You you do not want to party with a nephrologist, so I would say <laughs> no, that's not not what you want to do. <laughs> well, let's let's dive let's dive in there uh, on that point, which is you know the nephrology market before we get to Walmart has been quite interesting the last couple of years, continues to be interesting. And so I'd love sort of your views on the market, especially with some of the CMS changes that have been taking place or continue to take place, let alone the amount of upstarts. I feel like the upstarts in that market have just exploded given the, the dominant play of Davida and Fresenius since you played it both. I'd love, I'd love just your views on the market before we got started on anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, nephrology, like I was talking about, you know, it's a, it's a very challenging field to begin with, you know, mortality rates and, hospitalization rates haven't budged a ton. They've gotten better over, you know, the last decade or so uh, quality has gotten better, but you're really dealing with something that's very processed and operationally based. And so for the large players, you know, a lot of the economics are based on initially were based on drugs and rebates followed by, you know, just supply chain costs and how much a bloodline costs and and then you deal with a population that is not really commercially uh, insured. You know, most of those patients are Medicare patients. So it's, it's very challenging because you're try- it's a very needy population. But at the flip side, you know, you're really working within a fixed budget. So I think from, you know, just in terms of value-based care, I think nephrology in general has been going down that path for many years before coming now. And I think, you know, currently when you see all these companies that are coming up, the big thing with nephrology, I think, is you know the incentives are based on um, treating patients with dialysis, and I think as you move towards you know preventing people from going on to dialysis, it's clear you've got to do things way upstream, and, and I think that's what you're seeing with you know some of the startups that are coming into play, whether it's you know nutritionists or disease-specific medications or you know trying to pre-predict who's going to progress. But you know it's it, it's it's a great case study from that perspective. Just because I had the luxury of seeing some of this over in Europe with a trip a number of years back, do you think we'll start seeing some of the changing patterns of if you stay with dialysis for a second, not just center-based, but home-based and some of the sort of more meeting the patient sort of truly and the person really where they are rather than having them kind of dictate to a, a system that's by facility type, if you will? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, the brick and mortar is kind of situation is a, is a costly model compared to home. I think, you know, the biggest uh, challenge for many of us in trying to push people to home is having a technology that's really makes sense in somebody's life. So, you know, if you don't have a procedure or, you know, a lot of the times uh, people are doing it at home have to self-insert a needle and doing that at home requires a certain type of person, you know, a 75-year-old or a 72-year-old or May not feel comfortable with that and as we know you know most people who are going on to dialysis are later in age so there's there's definitely a people component i think to your point it's certainly what should be happening because if if you know and i had a patient when i i was practicing in greenville ohio who was a executive in one of the detroit car companies and and he went on peritoneal dialysis which is a dialysis you do through your your stomach and the advantages you can, you know, take your machine or your bags wherever you're going and do it. And he would do it in the car going over there. So there's certainly a lifestyle need about meeting people where they are, but um, the technology is quite not, you know, quite not there yet. Um, I think that's what we're sort of struggling with now. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting space. And I think one that continues to evolve, let alone, you know, some of the barriers based on sort of how the business dynamics work with a couple of the big players. So it'll be a fascinating market to watch, I think, especially on the innovation front. And maybe switching over to, to Walmart a little bit. So what day is this or what month is this? It's, it's, still, it's still fairly early, right? Yeah, this is, uh, this is week eight. So this, it's, not a, it's not a comfortable place to be in, Fig. So. <laughs> well, it's a small company, so it's probably pretty easy to ramp up. Yeah, no, it's, but I'll tell you, you know, like for me, you know, and, and, and I think you've been, you've been around. I think one of the things that is very clear when you go to a new company is the culture. And, and every company has its culture. And I tell this to, I was just speaking at our, uh, my, my business school the other day with some of the students. And, you know, that's the first thing I look at when I come in. And this is a very, very kind company. And, and that's, you know, that's different in a lot of, you know, in, in healthcare, you know, people are very nice and mission driven in healthcare, but, you know, you know, when you're driving towards something day in and day out, how easy it is to forget just that simple trait. And so that's been just super amazing for me. Just the first thing I noticed coming in. Um, so it's been, it's been and, great. And any, any other first impressions, you know, because there's been so much, you know, because it's Walmart, there's so much talked about in the healthcare press on and off. Hey, they're in it, they're not. And, you know, I've had the luxury of talking to Marcus over the years. And any first impressions from you on the, on more the health side of the business rather than the general, general corporate side? I've been, I've been pretty impressed and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty blunt. I, I would, I would say otherwise. I mean, I think, you know, the way I look at Walmart is the way I look at everything uh, in healthcare is that no one has figured out healthcare yet. And whether it's the dialysis space and whatnot, I think what the advantage is, is that you have the ability to do a lot of things that fit into someone's life. So to your point with just dialysis, uh, you know, that's something that could occur if you had dialysis machines in a store when somebody was coming to shop, or if you need to do foot checks or getting a specific point of care test, there's an opportunity to sort of be part of someone's life flow. And I think that that's important. I think the other thing that's probably even more important is that as we start thinking about, you know, health equity and, and, and people um, and meeting people where they are, it's not always about access. So we're we're 10 miles within 90% of the U.S. population, but as I do, that just putting something in front of someone doesn't mean their outcome is going to be different. So I think that's the big opportunity we have to be able to just talk to people in a different way and meet people where they are. And that's been pretty positive. So I've, I've been pretty impressed. In large, I mean, there's a lot of different pieces to it, but maybe I'll, I'll probe on this just because it's part of your background in the beginning. You know, large pharmacy operation, right? I mean, you know, running a lot of scripts through the overall footprint. You know, any similarities or differences in terms of what you saw in some of your previous roles, say at Express Script or otherwise, or, or any surprises on the pharmacy side so far? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, you know, the pharmacy in general and pharmacy and specialty in particular, which is sort of the big driver of spend uh, within the U.S., are relatively similar with regards to just there's an operations component and there's a clinical component. And so, there's just different focuses. I think yeah, Walmart's pharmacy footprint was really as a service to their their customers coming in. Express Scripts was really more focused uh, uh, beyond that, but um, also on the specialty side. So it's very different. I think with Walmart, one of the things that's really important is that you know we do have the ability to to make a difference in terms of of drug costs. So you probably saw a lot of the um, announcements with regards to insulin pricing and four dollar generics and 
there's a lot of leverage and scale there. And if you start to think about people end to end, um, that's when you can really make the difference because ultimately, whether it's pharmacy or PBM, you're really looking at total cost of care and the economics right now are not really centered on that. So, you know, people are moving to where those those uh, advantages are, but very similar in some ways, just different different focuses. And, you're, and how about your view on sort of the broader pharmacy landscape right now? It's such an important quiver in everything that we're doing, let alone ongoing chronic complex patients. You know, are you seeing things shift? Are you, are, you know, when you think about the big PBM, three PBMs being controlled by three biggest players and some of that mechanics, let alone how the retailers are coming into this in a very differentiated way to your point about can leverage scale, how, you know, what do you think the issues or the opportunities are in the landscape today? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, I think from a, just a provider perspective, number one is the pharmacist is becoming, uh, you know, I wouldn't say more important, but, you know, I think we're recognizing really the role that they can play. I think the pandemic has shown us that. And, you know, just even being in stores at Walmart, for example, it's pretty interesting to see the dynamics between a customer and how they feel about their pharmacist. So the scope of practice, I think, is going to be, really important. That's something we've been focusing on, whether it's even things such as, you know, motivational interviewing for specific populations, you know, LGBTQ plus or, you know, folks that have uh, disease states like HIV, where it's very challenging to talk to people and just even to, to get in there and, and, you know, understand where they're coming from. So uh, that's that's important. I think just in, in general, the, the pharmacy space, you know, the one thing that probably is going to change a little bit, just this in general, is that the concept of what a formulary means. You know, right now, when you think about a drug formulary, it's done, you know, obviously there's a patient benefit to that, but there's also a benefit of trying to find equivalent therapies and try to, you know, uh, extract some, um, some better benefit uh, for a plan or uh, for an employer from the manufacturer. But that's, you know, when you think about just formulators in general, they're not really made for a person. And so the idea that 10 milligrams of a drug is important in one person, why can't it be eight milligrams or seven milligrams? Or if you have a specialty medication that, you know, your genomic profile might be very different of how you respond. I think what we're going to see is that the formulary is going to likely change and how we think about that as to really what's being, what's impactful. But those are, I think, some of the two big things, you know, just uh, providers and and just, uh, you know, how we think about drug mix and, and care. Yeah, it's interesting. We, the interview before this one, we had Josh Bloom from CVS on, and, and he spent a long, many years at CVS owning the pharmacy operations there. And we had this long chat about how do you think about, and kind of playing into your comment, you know, how do you think about drug, not just drug spend, but drug control, drug formulary, all of that in the greater spectrum of health. And you think about the various retail players coming into that footprint, you know, does it, does it give you all a little bit of an advantage to sort of have that oversight? You know, if you think about CVS Aetna, a strong advantage there in terms of, of the mechanism, similar to you not only being in the community, but also being the formulary, the PBM, and, and some of the other mechanisms on that front. I was just curious sort of how you think about that side of it from a retail angle and back to the in the community idea yeah i mean i i if i understand your question i think i think you know some of the consolidation that's occurring is a testament to sort of how we're thinking about uh the pharmacy and the pbm and you know being intertwined with the health plan i think in the you know i think in the community side um you know where it gets interesting is being able to have 
conversations with patients that might drive adherence or understand those things based on you know the pharmacy scope of practice. There is, you know, I think the, the data angle of this, whether it's genomic data, whether it's understanding, you know, engagement and what drives adherence and all those things that, you know, are slowly being incorporated with data interoperability and all the fun buzzwords that people use. I mean, those are things that still haven't kind of come together. But we're we're sort of at this shift where you have, you know, sort of the the larger incentives of sort of how the system currently works, moving to total cost of care, trying to decide what drug is better, trying to decide what providers should be doing and who should be having those conversations. That's really what the fulcrum looks like. And where something like a Walmart, um, whether it's actually a brick and mortar approach or whether it's, you know, telepharmacy or whatever it ends up being, being that hub kind of can mean something very different, I think. And that's what's, you know, could be, could be pretty powerful. And is that, is that sort of your view in terms of Walmart health and how it fits into all of this? And I've heard you talk a little bit about sort of community care. And we also spent some time with your friend, Dr. Kevin Pond um, from Walgreens, also talking about sort of community care and how you guys fit into that. Is that what you mean by that in terms of how, 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 how you will fit into that or, or do fit into that today? Yeah, no, no, I think uh, that's, yeah, I, I, that is, that is really the, the core focus for us is if you have someone who is going through their life, forget about healthcare, you know, they're, they're driving, they're shopping, they're, they're, their life is going on, you know, how do we reach that patient? And so, you know, the concept, uh, we use the term omni-channel, and I think, you know, people have used that as the digital front door, or how do we meet people where they are? So if they were to interface with Walmart, and they have a healthcare question, whether it's something like, uh, you know, I have an educational need, or can you, um, if I'm a diabetic patient, is there a way to direct them to discounted foods uh, lower glycemic foods for that particular patient, or you know, is it a telepharmacy encounter? Um, that's what we're really trying to wrap around and connect. And when you think about sort of the the disparate patients that that are out there in chronic disease, where it's not an easy fix, you're going to need that type of flexibility. And some of those, you know, some of those interventions are costly, and you're not able to do those things. And dialysis is a great example of that. Is that there's there's a lot of cost to some of these interventions that can't be borne out in the in the current clinical model. And so you have to have more of a, you know, end-to-end uh, view. And I don't like to use these buzzwords too, Figs, because I think everybody says the same thing, end-to-end interoperability. But that's what we're really trying to figure out is how all that stuff plays together. And it's not going to be, it, it's not going to be one solution. You know, one thing I learned at Express Scripts, um, and particularly actually some of the other places, is that when you can design, while well, you can design an end-to-end program, a lot of times you have very sophisticated players in the market. So health plans are quite sophisticated. They may not need all of the capabilities that we have, and we have a ton, but they may need one or two things. They may need a place to get their eye exam. They may need a place to get a point of care test or a pharmacy encounter. I think that's how sort of as I think about things is how do we supercharge the the current capabilities that are out there? And I think we're, you know, we've got a lot of ways to, to do that. And is that, is that become sort of the follow-up on that is, you know, we, we deal with a lot of incumbent providers and payers and, you know, trying to think about how the retailers are going to play in their strategies and maybe even using your, 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 your jazz background or metaphor, which is, you know, does that become the ensemble? Does that become the way that, you know, up and down the community and up and down the acuity ladder that maybe even some of these partnerships exist in a very different way that bring differential, differentiated care 
in a community. Is that is that how you guys are kind of thinking? Yeah, so a great example of that is the work we're doing with the HIV population. There's a lot of risk factors. There's a lot of stigma with talking about the disease. There are significant risks to contracting the disease in specific patient populations. But that's not something that you can just simply put an educational piece in front of them. And so the partnership, not only on a local level, it might be also with the various state government public health entities, which we're doing some work in Georgia to really start thinking about, you know, how do we talk about uh, preventative therapies? How do we uh, train our pharmacists and our pharmacy technicians so they can be interviewing individuals and talking to individuals in a different way? And how do we do all the wraparound things? So with HIV in particular, people don't die from HIV now, they die from cardiovascular disease. And so there are so many other aspects in terms of total cost of care that go beyond what you're trying to treat. So are you treating their cardiometabolic uh, condition? Are you starting to look at testing for other infectious diseases such as hepatitis B, hepatitis C? And how do you do follow-up on individuals who are getting PrEP therapy or preventative therapies? So you definitely need sort of a, uh, an overall influence. And I think we're going to see this even more as you get to a place where, you know, there are more people with chronic conditions and more life issues and person, personal issues that are going to impact, you know, how you really make a difference. So, And I wonder, we, we spent some time with, you may, know, you may know Lloyd Dean from Common Spirit, and Lloyd was talking about this idea of being of the community rather than just in the community. and Walmart is in and of the community and some of the places that they, they exist. Should we all maybe be looking at this differently? Should we be, you know, be thinking about, it's not just a retailer, it's really about how you wrap yourself, especially with some of the geographic reach that you all have. You become a community resource in a very different way. It's not just about being a retailer anymore. It's really about how do you wrap the various set of needs in a community to the strategy specifically around health and access and things of that degree. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that point to me boils down to this whole trust component, which I think, I think we've been seeing has changed quite a bit. You know, I think trust is becoming much more local. Trust is something where you're actually trusting what your friends are saying from a clinical perspective. You know, I think every physician is, is now on, uh, on TV. I was, uh, tease Kevin about that. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it's very hard for the, you know, for the average individual who doesn't have a background to understand that. And I think to your point, what, I, and what I've observed is that when you go into a Walmart um, in a retail setting, people go there for other reasons besides shopping. They go there for a community sense. Some people actually, because Walmarts are so huge, they actually walk around the Walmart. You know, there's a lot of things Walmart does in the community, particularly with developing, you know, the communities they're, they're in. And so there is a big opportunity to redefine what it means to be trust. And I think as I look at the medical office and sort of, you know, we think about what our mission is, we do want people to trust Walmart as a place that they can get their healthcare needs uh, and be able to come to a resource that, you know, really cares and is giving them the right advice. And, and I think that's, that's tremendously important from the community perspective. I think that's what we're sort of seeing. Yeah, and that, I think that trust point's a great one that you made, which is some of the least trustworthy brands sometimes <laughs> are, are, are health brands to a certain degree, depending on which way you look. But then does it also, from a brand promise standpoint, you know, Walmart having to work on your aspect of Walmart on the health side of extending what 
the brand permission is for the various folks that that sort of think of Walmart a certain way. No, I think I think that's I think that's a microscope we we put on not only on ourselves, but I think everyone uh, should be trying to do that. You know, it, just to that point, I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine uh, in Boston, and he was talking about uh, the Harvard health systems. And so, on one hand, people trust the health systems because they're Harvard, but the other closely uh, following uh, trust component was the affiliation that some of the hospitals have with the Boston Red Sox. And so it's very interesting, you know, when you think about why someone goes somewhere and trusts them, it's not always what you think, you know, and I, I think I saw that in Ohio, you know, I, I had, there were a lot of clinicians who had been there for a very long time that had not trained uh, at, you know, what you would consider an academic or center of excellence, great docs, but patients didn't care about that. You know, they cared really about sort of that relationship. And I think that's what we're seeing now is that, um, it is very difficult to tease through the noise. And that's why I think, you know, a big focus area for us is really making consistent decisions and trying to do things that, you know, really make a difference um, rather than doing things just because, you know, it's what traditional healthcare has always, always done. And, that, and that's at like at the punchline level too, because you're, we're rewiring the U.S. consumer's journey, you know, where the journey for the most part it still is, is mostly been to the ED. And now we're trying to rewire it through various different mechanisms, including the retail channel, which you're maybe a little bit to your point about omni-channel experiences, you know, how, how you extend that brand, let alone permission, and how you gain that trust for certain aspects of your care. But I assume that that's sort of, sort of where you're going with that too. Got it. And then, you know, maybe sort of moving a little bit Closer to that, when you think about omni-channel experiences and you think, of, and I know it's early days at, at Walmart, but I mean, there is no better entity that has a just a treasure trove of data, <laughs> right? And, you know, Amazon-like as well. And, and you think about sort of moving into the health realm, you really have a differentiated set of understanding of, of consumer data. I heard, I heard you talk a little bit about that on another uh, discussion. So I wanted to bring that up as well in terms of your thoughts about how you use some of the data and how you be, a, you know, obviously you have to be a little ethical with some of that data in terms of how you think about it from a health vantage point, but but curious sort of your perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the data aspect is a, is a tough one because I think there's the privacy aspects that we're very, very focused on and, and data security. I think one of the things that we have the advantage and the ability to do is to really take a step forward and be that individual that, um, or be that entity that um, where people trust us um, with their data and what to do with their data, because there are things that are really relevant that you wouldn't think about. You know, uh, somebody who votes is a more engaged individual who will likely opt into a clinical program that I put in front of them. You know, understanding, you know, somebody's dietary habits, understanding, you know, their geography, and I think we've heard a ton about, you know, where people live and their access to care and what it means to to have wealth versus income. All of those things make a big, big difference. So I think our view is that anonymous data is, could be used uh, for good. I think what we're trying to determine is sort of how best to think about, you know, bringing all those uh, data sources in a in a safe way. Uh, that's uh, that's beyond my my brain power to think about. 
And, and maybe maybe to close out some of our discussion, which is, you know, any views in, in talking with colleagues there or even some discussions that are ongoing now about kind of the role that, that Walmart played through the pandemic? Because it was, you know, a lot of the retailers played a very prominent role, but I'd be curious to share with our listeners sort of, you know, your views on that at the intersection of Walmart Health and, and the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, you know, I would say that um, it's not just Walmart. I think our the whole country, I think, in general, has we've done a pretty amazing job. I think we're pretty critical of ourselves, and and I think the you know the level that we're holding ourselves to in the pandemic is you know a level that it's very difficult to get to in clinical disease. I think nothing is perfect in medicine, but I think one thing I've been very impressed with, and I can't take any credit for what's what's happened with Walmart, is that you know, the pharmacists, you know, being out there in the field when you don't really know a lot about a virus and putting yourself at risk and, you know, going back home to your families, that was pretty huge. There was a lot of work done on vaccine hesitancy and particularly going into specific communities and groups. We were working very closely with uh, the federal government on vaccine distribution and and trying to partner and, and really not thinking about the competitive landscape. And, and, you know, I think, you know, and this is not just Walmart or myself. I mean, I think all of us have had to have pretty challenging discussions about masks and should you get vaccinated? And I think the one thing I've been super impressed with is, you know, it's been always done um, in a way that, you know, was super, you know, focused on caring and, and trying to do the right thing. So it's been challenging, you know, but again, that's the, that's the team did a pretty amazing job. I was just looking and just pretty amazed. Well, John, this has been great. I know we put you on the spot eight weeks in <laughs> on the I job. So, I'm going to so. do that to you next time. Sure exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate it. But any, any last thoughts or impressions you want to share before before we sign off here? Now, first of all, I want to thank, thank you again. I also want to just uh, say that, you know, it's a very humbling position to be in, you know, and I think for me, when I look at my career over the, I would have never thought I'd be in this this role and certainly don't have the, all the answers. And so I think like everyone, we're trying to figure it out. The Walmart health business is a very big focus for Walmart. You're going to continue to see expanding locations. I think we're going to continue to look at our pharmacists and our other providers, you know, our pharmacy technicians, opticians. We view them all equally, our, our, our physicians, uh, to try to do more. And health equity is a huge, huge component for us. It's not just a term. We're really trying to invest uh, in that. And we actually have a specific division that's being uh, stood up just to address that. So, um, you know, ultimately, we're trying to improve outcomes and cost and, and have people live better. So, appreciate being here. That's great. Well, we appreciate it. And like I said, I, I appreciate like how busy you are trying to get wrapped up on the new job and doing this. But I just wanted to thank you again and uh, look forward to staying in touch here and uh, wish you the best in the new role. Thanks, Wig. <laughs> Thanks, Wig. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders. You can find Keith Figlioli on Twitter and on LinkedIn. You can find me there as well. I'm Tom Salemi, Editorial Director of Device Talks. Join us next time. We'll have another great episode of Healthcare is Hard, a podcast for insiders waiting for you.